Welcome to Digest This. I'm Grace Rabinowitz, and I'm here with Lawrence Baker, a senior fellow at the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research and a professor in medicine and human biology. And as I was preparing for this episode, I learned that he was recently elected to the National Academy of Medicine, which is outstanding. Congratulations, and welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, and it is really a pleasure to be here. So tell us how you first got interested in studying health policy. I was just getting started in this uh, in economics and research about the time that the Clinton administration in the 1990s was proposing a health reform bill, a big uh, effort to reform the U.S. healthcare system. And so I came along at about the time I was looking for interesting things to work on and I uh, had some chances to talk with people and get started working in the area then and, and really found it very interesting. It's been uh, you know, obviously, the U.S. healthcare system has had lots of challenges over time and chances to try and, and make it better. So it's just uh, something I got started with when I was looking for interesting topics to work on. And it has just kept on going for me and worked out over time. I remember for me, my first introduction to health policy was watching debates about the Affordable Care Act on CNN when I was in fifth grade in elementary school. And I was confused about why politics and health were even in the same bubble. So I'm really excited to talk to an expert about not just that question, but also um, the Affordable Care Act as such a landmark piece of legislation. And I wanted to start out by asking you what the main idea behind the Affordable Care Act is. You know, the, uh, the Affordable Care Act was, um, was it had lots, has lots of parts and it's in some ways attempts to address um, many different aspects of the healthcare system. But the, the biggest thing that I think it was trying to do was expand access to health insurance. So we started the Affordable Care Act discussion here uh, with a lot of people who are uninsured and the Affordable Care Act was um, has a lot of components that were designed to try and make it easier for people to buy insurance, to increase the number of people who ultimately had insurance and, uh, and increase access to care by doing that. It also had some things to do with health, healthcare spending and, and some other aspects, but it was a lot about uh, expanding coverage. Something that I really want to focus on in our conversation today is a piece called the individual mandate. So what is the individual mandate? In the simplest framing, it's a requirement that everybody in the U.S., get themselves some health insurance, uh, and that's the mandate then, uh, and it's on individuals, everybody's responsible for getting their own, um, came with a penalty, so that the idea was if you didn't get health insurance, then you would have to uh, pay a, a fee or a penalty. And what kind of penalty is this? going to be, I think it was a $700, just a little under $700 penalty for a person who didn't have insurance per year, and it would go up from that because it was associated with your family income. And why do we even need an individual mandate? See, the Affordable Care Act was trying to do a number of different things. And, and one of the things that it was really trying to do that leads us eventually to the individual mandate, but uh, takes us a couple steps to get there, was to make it easier for people who were sick to buy insurance and, and make insurance available to a broad range of people at a reasonable price. Before the Affordable Care Act, people who were sick uh, often had a hard time getting insurance if they wanted to get insurance, especially if you had a long health history of, of problems and maybe some real health challenges. It could have been hard for you to buy insurance. And, and that's because if you if an insurance company takes you on, uh, they're, they're going to have to pay a lot of money for your health care. And so they might rather make it harder for you to sign up or charge you a very high premium to buy that insurance. The Affordable Care Act was trying to fix that. 
And one of the ways you fix that is, is by getting a whole bunch of different kinds of people together in an insurance plan. If sick people and healthy people, a whole range of people are all buying insurance from the same insurance company, then they can kind of average the premiums that people have to pay across all the different people. And so if you have some healthy people in the pools with the sicker people, you get a better average premium. Individual mandate is a lot about making sure there's a broad range of people trying to buy insurance so that these insurance pools can function well, so we can help sicker people especially get access. And right after the individual mandate became rule, did that happen? Did it significantly balance out those risk pools and were premiums lowered? So this is a this is a great question, and it is a complicated thing to sort of think about. So um, as they phased in the Affordable Care Act, it, it did work up to a point. Um, the insurance pools broadened. We got some sicker people able to buy insurance because the the structures created by the Affordable Care Act helped with that. Uh, and there were a number of quite a few people who bought insurance who looked like the healthier demographics, people who wanted to get insurance, either because of the mandate or just because they wanted to. And the Affordable Care Act did lots of other things to make it easier for people. So people did come in. Uh, there was a lot of discussion at the time, and there continues to be now. Um, you know, I think there were some people who hoped there would be even more broad participation. But uh, on the whole, the the marketplaces, the insurance selling and buying structures that were created in the Affordable Care Act did seem to function and they were able to offer reasonable premiums. So there's one other thing that was interesting in your question, uh, and that is, did the premiums go down? And, and the answer is, for a lot of people, they did. For people who were sicker, especially if, if you were able to get insurance and you had pre-existing conditions before the Affordable Care Act, uh, you probably had a pretty high premium. Um, and I guess I sh- we should be clear, this is mostly for people who aren't getting insurance from their employer. If you're already getting insurance from an employer, the Affordable Care Act didn't do uh, a lot. One of the things that was an interesting debate and a source of some um, you know, challenge was that if you were really healthy, uh, and you were buying insurance on your own before the Affordable Care Act, you might have gotten a really good deal because the insurance companies might have been very, very enthusiastic to sell you insurance. You weren't going to cost a lot of money and you looked like a you know, good, easy person for them to work with. And so um, so some people who were very healthy got very low premiums beforehand. But once the Affordable Care Act came along and made it easier for sicker people to also be buying insurance in the same pool as the healthy people, uh, now, some of those healthy folks actually had to pay a little higher premium because they were now averaged in with some sicker people. Affordable Care Act uh, is a bit of a mix. It really did help a lot of people who were who were having a very hard time getting insurance. But there are some uh, who were who were buying insurance who had their premiums go up some, and and that's a concern for some people, I think. So where did the opposition for the Affordable Care Act originate? Uh, oh, the op- opposition to the ACA has been around almost since it was it was passed, and it, uh, it comes from different places. So, uh, on, it, you know, some of it's very broadly based. You know, the, the Affordable Care Act increases uh, the size of some government programs. In addition to what we've been talking about with the individual mandate and, and help with insurance premiums, um, it expanded the Medicaid program uh, by quite a bit. And so there are, there are people who are happy about that. Um, and there are people who are, who are unhappy in the, with the expansion of a large federal and state government program. Um, you know, the Affordable Care Act also set some rules for how insurance companies uh, sell insurance and change some of those rules to make it, in a lot of ways, really um, 
easier for people, especially people with pre-existing conditions to buy insurance. Also had a lot of help for lower income people who, who could get some help buying, paying the premiums to buy insurance. Um, and, and some people are, are okay with those kinds of rules and other people are, are not, uh, rather have there be fewer. So I think there's some substantive uh, debates and concerns about the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and then there are political concerns. Uh, it's obviously been a real political hot potato for, for quite a few years. And, uh, you know, that comes from a lot of places. It was passed by a, a Democratic Congress with a Democratic president of Obama. And uh, Republicans in the opposition, I think, were found it easy to, to dislike it as a political maneuver. Um, and in some cases, that was very substantively based. And in other cases, it's, uh, you know, parties that are opposed to each other. And so people, you know, don't always want to be supportive of things done by the other party. And so that was a source of political uh, debate and continues to be a real source of political debate because the Republicans have have run on platforms of overturning the Affordable Care Act for, for many years. Right. And I wanted to get a little bit more into those efforts to pick apart the Affordable Care Act. So we remember that in 2017, the Senate used reconciliation to take away the financial penalty from the Affordable Care Act instead of going through, you know, the traditional two-thirds vote. What do you see as the impact of effectively removing the teeth from this individual mandate? So that was a, a big debate at the time. And, you know, the question was how the, the markets were going to function. The markets created by the Affordable Care Act were, were set up with this notion that there would be a broad range of people buying insurance. So there would be, you know, the healthy people, the sicker people, the younger people, the older people, broad range. The individual mandate was was conceived of and created as a way to help make that happen. And so taking away the penalty uh, worried a lot of people uh, because, you know, folks said, well, I'm only buying insurance because they tell me I have to or I have to pay this penalty. So now I'm not going to. Uh, and in, if that was disproportionately healthier people, younger people, then that would, you know, change this dynamic of averaging in the, the costs of older and younger and healthier and sicker people. And, you know, you can get this sort of thing that we call in health economics, a little spiral, where if you drop a few healthier people out of the market, the prices rise a little. Uh, then some more people say, well, the price has gone up, maybe I want to leave. And if most of those people are are healthier people, then they leave and then the price goes up a little higher and then maybe a few more people leave. And if most of them are healthier people, then the price goes up higher. And pretty soon it just doesn't work anymore. The price um, gets too high and nobody buys insurance anymore. So there's a real worry that that might happen. The interesting thing was it didn't happen. It happened a little bit, but it didn't happen as much as people were, were thinking it might. And the reason that that is and the answer to the question was um, People like to buy insurance. A lot of people value having insurance, even if they don't have a penalty, if they don't buy it. And so the Affordable Care Act helped them. And the Affordable Care Act has a lot of help, uh, a lot of uh, financial assistance for lower income people who uh, were who buy, bought insurance. And so that turned out to be very valuable uh, and caused a lot of people to be interested in buying insurance, especially even healthier people. Um, without the mandate. And so it turns out, I think that we we still think the mandate and the penalty would would help. But it wasn't as essential uh, as maybe people thought it might be when we started. Um, and so that's an interesting finding in the last few years. And that kind of brings us into next Tuesday. On November 10th, we know that the Supreme Court is going to hear California v. Texas. What should listeners to this 
podcast know about this case leading into next week? Oh, this is a, a very interesting case from lots of perspectives. You know, the legal scholars have been interested in it from, for legal reasons, and uh, there's a lot, a lot of interesting kind of political maneuvering associated with it. From the Affordable Care Act perspective, the question is whether the law survives, the Affordable Care Act survives this constitutional challenge. And if it survives, it survives in whole or in part. And, and there are a lot of different scenarios. The key thing that, that I think people are looking at is if the Supreme Court determines that parts of this law are unconstitutional, do they decide to strike down the whole thing or just some small parts of it? Right. And if the Supreme Court decides that you can sever the individual mandate from the rest of the ACA, do you think that that would open the floodgates to sort of picking off parts of the law? Or do you think that the ACA would remain intact just minus the individual mandate? The question of severability is, can you just throw out the mandate and leave the rest? Or do you have to throw out the whole law? If any part of it is found unconstitutional, you throw the whole thing out. And at different points in the lawsuit, the plaintiffs, the states who are arguing that the law should be overturned, have made different cases. And so there are some people who think, well, you should throw the whole law out, everything, the Medicaid expansion, other parts of the Affordable Care Act that affect preventive care, other parts of the Affordable Care Act that affect whether people under age 26 can stay on their parents' insurance plans, um, Medicare payment reforms, the whole thing. Uh, and there are there are some other folks who say, well, no, you could just overturn the individual mandate and leave everything in place. And then the plaintiffs themselves have made different cases. So in one version of the lawsuit, it's changed a little over time. They said, well, if you throw out the individual mandate, you only should throw away other provisions of the Affordable Care Act that make it easier for health, sicker people to buy insurance. So guarantees about access to insurance for them. But you could leave other things in place, like the Medicaid expansion. In some versions, the plaintiffs have said, well, you should throw out only provisions that have harmed the states who are suing. And so that would be a subset of the provisions, but not all of them. And in some cases, they've said, well, you should only throw out provisions that harm the states in the states that are suing. So there are a whole host of different possibilities, and it is not totally clear um, what the, the Supreme Court would do uh, or how that would play out. I think there are a lot of legal scholars who think that the sensible legal decision would be just to, to sever the mandate and leave everything else in place, in which case there probably wouldn't be big effects. But if they went a different direction, there could be huge, far-reaching effects. It'll be interesting definitely to see what happens when we hear what came out of this case. One of the refrains we've heard was this line that pre-existing condition protections are on the line. Is that an accurate read of something that could happen in this case? If the Supreme Court said the individual mandate was unconstitutional and decided to also take away some other provisions of the law with it, one of the natural things you'd go to is those other provisions that protect um, people with pre-existing conditions. And so I think there are people who are quite worried that if they overturn the mandate, that they would also reach into other aspects of the law that have been linked to the individual mandate. They would go back to the original debate in 2010 or so about the passage of the law, and they would find those pre-existing conditions, protections, and take those away as well. There are legal scholars who don't think that that would be a natural thing to do, but yet there are people who are very worried that that would be something the Supreme Court would do or could do.
So now I want to ask you, what impacts do you think that COVID and the pandemic are going to have on health insurance legislation going forward? That's a really good question. And it's it's kind of uncertain at the moment. You know, on the one hand, this is a health a big health issue that is challenging the healthcare system and making it more important for people to think about health insurance. You know, maybe people who weren't getting health insurance were interested in it. And it's also created huge challenges for our healthcare providers, for physicians and hospitals that, you know, initially had big drops in utilization of their of their services. And some of them had pretty, pretty big rebounds, but changes in the way they operate and changes in kinds of services and so that they've been providing. So huge, huge potential changes. There have been changes in telemedicine. People have been more interested in using telemedicine services that may or may not stick around. And so adapting our health insurance system to how we, how we do that, I think is a, is an ongoing work. On the one hand, it might not change that much, but it might bring some people in and it might lead uh, our institutions to think about new opportunities like like telemedicine or like more testing or other things for people and, and how they effectively do that. So um, personally, I think definitely a huge challenge for the healthcare system, but it may not lead to massive changes in health insurance, but it's certainly creating new ways to look at things. And sometimes you never know where new things are coming from. So we've reached our last question. And this is a question that I'm going to ask every guest that I talk to, and you can respond in any way that you see fit. The question is, is science political? It's a fascinating question. It goes in so many different directions. I mean, I'd say, I hope science can always help us find answers to important questions. And that, in its best, is not an inherently political act. The thing that science can contribute is uh, serious people using their best efforts to come up with things that can help us make good decisions. And so I would hope that every scientist takes it upon herself or himself to to be as careful a provider of information as they can and, and not be political. And I hope the scientific community can actually help because sometimes in a community, you can figure out how to do that in ways that any individual might not. And so I, I always hope that that's the case, that science can be not political. Now, you know, we have to accept that every scientist is a person and people make decisions and do things for all sorts of reasons, including political ideas and political reasons, as well as lots of other things. And so it's probably never entirely apolitical, the questions people ask and the ways they present things. But I hope the scientists will always try to provide facts and information that can be used as, as apolitically as possible. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was very fun to get your expertise and will be really interesting to see going forward what happens in the next couple months. Yeah, it's been great to talk with you. It's a great topic and I'm uh, just as interested as you. I think there's all sorts of different things that could happen. So it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out.